0: You and those of you who are in person, those of you, I I don't know if we have anybody outside today, but typically we have people outside, maybe some downstairs and some viewing online. Uh, Crazy times uh, that we live in, but we're thankful for the technology to be able to make some accommodations. Uh, And thank you so much for your patience uh, because not everyone agrees on how to go about dealing with these crazy times. But I'm encouraged by the unity that I continue to see Uh, in our church, with us being patient with one another. Uh, As I do every Sunday, I want to invite you to pray specifically with me for the time that we're entering now, as we open up God's Word, uh, that it wouldn't just be a ritual, a religious exercise, but that we would actually walk away from here changed by this time in God's Word. So would you pray with me for that? Father, we thank you that... We can sing these songs of truth and grace uh, out of gratitude in our hearts for the kind of God that you are and what you've done and what you continue to do in our lives. We're thankful for those truths and we pray that right now as we open up to your word, we pray that you would use it to challenge us, uh, to engage us, provoke us to respond with our lives. With our minds and hearts fully engaged, and we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. You might be able to recall. Hopefully, you'll be able to recall a time where the gospel fell on your ears, kind of for the first time. Maybe you've heard it before, but it was the first time you, it really clicked for you, and and that's good. Uh, you should come to the gospel realizing that you're discovering something really big, and that's great. And it shatters your life, and undoes your life, but it also puts you back together, and it's beautiful, and it's awesome. There is a danger, though, if as the Christian grows, the Christian continues to seek new things. In other words, it's not just that the gospel was new, and they got some great new information with the gospel, but they continue to seek new things, and they want to hear new truths, and they want to seek new ideas, it's kind of like if you remember in Acts chapter 17, Paul was preaching in Athens, and the Athenians and even the foreigners that lived in Athens at that time, the last verse in chapter 17 describes them as always wanting to tell or hear new stuff. They just were really into new things. Now Paul took advantage of that and gave them something new in the gospel, and that's, that's fine, that's great, Paul used it. But, but we don't want to be a church church. Of neophiles. I mean, technically neophiles, uh, lover of what's new. Now, interestingly, uh, I think I'd heard the term before, but I, I went to the ultimate authority of Wikipedia uh, to-, to see what, how-, how is this defined, right? Ne- a neophile, someone who loves new things, new ideas, is always chasing after what's new. Uh, this person feels uncomfortable settling too long, and the same friendships, the same relationships, maybe the same church, and so they move around constantly on a quest for hearing something new. And what you'll find here at CFC, what you'll find pretty quickly, I think, is that I don't say new things very often. <laughs> we return to the same old things. There's a danger in being a neophile, and just listen to the characteristics. Now, this article, you know, Wikipedia articles, just describing how it's been used, and it's been used by people in a positive way, but listen to the characteristics. Neophiles or neophiliacs have the following basic characteristics. Now imagine a Christian as a neophile, especially importing these characteristics into church. The ability to adapt rapidly to extreme change. Well, there's a positive. A distaste or downright loathing of tradition, repetition, and routine. That can be an issue. A tendency to become bored quickly with old things. A desire bordering on obsession in some cases to experience novelty. What's new? A corresponding and related desire to create novelty, to create new things by creating or achieving something and or by stirring social or other forms of unrest. These end up being the heretics in church. A complete objection to or distrust of commitment. Well, That's that's an issue. And so there's nothing wrong with realizing that you just learned something new in a sermon. Where it crosses into uh, being something that's problematic is demanding something always new of a sermon or a Bible study or of church. I've got to get something new out of it. And what Peter is explaining to his readers in our text today is that you don't want to approach church that way. In fact, you want to be the opposite. You want to be reminded of what you already know not coming to church hoping you get something completely new every time. But if we can take the position of embracing the importance of reminding, then that will be a big help not just the church but to me because every week I feel a little bit of the pressure. I said that already. I preached that already. I need, I need something different. In fact, I think a lot of reasons why so many churches, not to throw other churches under the bus, but this is a reality, some churches won't move through a book. They won't preach through a whole book. You know why? Because the authors of Scripture tend to have three or four or five themes that they just roll over and over and over again. Like, remember when we preached through Mark? Discipleship, discipleship, discipleship. What does it mean to follow? This week, guess what we're going to talk about? What it means to follow Christ. I thought we talked about that last week. I know, we're going to talk about that next week because we're moving through, through Mark. And so when preachers feel that pressure, they put together topical sermons that try to find things new in the Bible everywhere, not every topical preacher does that, but it could be a danger because we're feeding that neophilia, and when you feed the neophilia, you forget the importance of the old things, the basics, uh, the foundational principles that we need to not leave behind or stick on a shelf to collect dust, but continue to return to over and over, so that when we come to church, we're not going, hey, what's new? We're going, tell me what's old, Remind me again. Look at that in in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll find ourselves in verse 12. And we're just taking a small slice, a small chunk this morning, 12 to 15. And then we'll visit some application of it. Let's read this paragraph. It goes like this. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. You guys are Christians, and we have a faith of equal standing, but that faith of equal standing produces things. That faith of equal standing creates realities in your lives. You start adopting qualities like virtue, right? And you add that to your faith. Your faith keeps growing and maturing. And he spends a, you know, 11 verses unpacking that for them, and then he tells them in verse 12, because they might be going, uh, we got that already, we knew that already. I know about, con- I know about our calling I know about election, I know about the gospel, I know what Jesus Christ did on our behalf, and he's like, I know you, I know you know that. And then he says in verse 12, but because of that gospel, I intend to always remind you of it. We can't leave it behind, and there are swaths of Christians who believe you get the gospel, that's class 101, and you've got to move to 201 and 301. You've got to get to the 400 level classes uh, beyond the gospel, Well, those classes, if they're ever beyond the gospel, then they're not really Christianity. Because you never leave the gospel behind. You return to those basic things. You return to those basic qualities that he moves through here. Not just virtue, but knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness. Just these big, broad terms that kind of cover everything. Brotherly affection, love. These qualities are to be increasing, he says in verse 8, and you add them to your faith. You, you pile on your faith with these things. It's what your faith looks like as it grows, verse 5. So these are qualities that aren't, shouldn't be new to you. Oh, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be loving? Like We know that. Virtue is a good thing? Oh, I'm glad I came to this church, right? But he's saying, I'm, I'm taking this moment to write to you, and it's not a long letter, We don't have 3rd Peter, 4th Peter, 5th Peter. Like, we don't have a lot from Peter. I do believe this is from Peter. Some contend that. But he gives them this sort of last letter, this sort of farewell address, and he tells them, I'm going to use the ink and the parchment to remind you of what you already know. And, And look at his commitment. It's not like he ran out of things to say, he's not sure what else to say, he's kind of bored. You know, no, look at his sheer commitment to it. He says, I think it right, verse 13, as long as I'm in this body. What do you mean as long as I'm in this body? Well, I know that the putting off of my body, verse 14, is going to be soon, as the Lord Jesus made clear. You remember in John, when Jesus made it pretty clear, like, I know you're walking around pretty free right now, but pretty soon you're going to be stretched out. And John tells us Jesus was indicating the kind of death he was going to die. He's going to die a martyr's death. He's going to be executed for the faith. And possibly persecution is getting hot. He's getting older. He knows Jesus isn't lying, so he knows his time is coming. And he takes this opportunity to write this letter as a farewell address. And what does he want to give them? Not something new, but something basic and old. And he doesn't just want to throw it out there. He wants to use all his energy to do it. Verse 15, I will make every effort as my departure is coming. So think about Peter's commitment to do this. If you had one last chance, one last thing to say, you knew you were on your way out, and you had one last moment with your kids or your spouse or your loved ones, would you really give them something new? Or would you remind them yet again the legacy you want to leave behind, the kind of life you want them to see, the kind of behavior you think they need to continue to work on? Probably you wouldn't give them something completely new. You remind them, and probably they wouldn't be like, I heard that already, Dad. Give me something new before you die. No, you're going to take that lump in your throat, you're going to feel the gravity and the weight of that reminder and go, you're right. I, I still need to be reminded of that. And that's what Peter wants of his readers. That's what we want in church. That's what we expect of sermons and Bible studies and our devotional time. Not searching through the Scriptures to find something new, but to rediscover the things that have always been there and that you were taught from the very earliest times of being a Christian. You want to return to those. Now, of course, those things will deepen and you'll unpack it and you'll start learning how to define some of these Christian terms and some of these big words that we find in the Bible. But you're learning the depths of something old and not continuing to find something new. In fact, I think, if you find a new teaching, you've never heard it before, and in the 2,000-year history of the church, no one's really ever been saying it, you've probably stumbled upon heresy. You've probably stumbled upon a cult. It's a danger there to find the things that are new. It's definitely a danger to be thirsty for things that are new. But it's definitely a quality, a divine quality to remember, to be reminded of the old truths that we need reminding of. And what is he reminding them of? All these qualities that they continue to add to their faith, but not just the qualities. You remember what we talked about when we unpacked that big paragraph from 3 to 11, is that you don't add these qualities from your own faith. God saves you, you come into faith, and if that faith is real, you confirm the fact that you have that faith with these qualities, so that faith produces these qualities. Now, that's the gospel. Some churches preach a gospel of freedom and grace, complete freedom from the law, grace only in a sense of permissiveness. I mean, they don't tell you you can go do what you want, but they don't let the other shoe drop of, now we need to behave, guys. We need to live obedient lives. And then you have other churches that constantly hammer home obedience, obedience, law, and they don't, they don't let that first shoe drop of grace and freedom and how there's no condemnation for the Christian. But Peter takes those that introductory portion reminds remind you that they both go together. And that the way they work together is that faith precedes works. Faith produces works. So that if your life is sort of pulled over instead of moving along in the race, you're just kind of hanging out on the sidelines and you're living there, your life looks pretty much the same way it looked before you supposedly entered the race. You're not really running, you're not striving. Right? You look at this and, like, man, a lot of these qualities are really just not being added to my life. It might be because you never really got that calling in the first place. and You need to go back to square one and go, wait, uh, do I really have the gospel? And for those of you who are just completely exhausted, you're trying to add all these qualities, you're trying to live your life perfectly, you're constantly praying prayers like, God, I know I messed up this week, would you save me for real this time? Maybe I should get baptized again. There. You're not understanding it from the other side. And you need to be reminded that we're brought into faith by God's grace and by God's work, and then these things naturally flow. Of course, we mess up here and there, but it's the struggle, it's the fight, it's the person that's not fighting anymore. I can think of many counseling sessions where I've encouraged a Christian that is coming to me and saying, I, I'm struggling with this, I hate that I do this, and I'm trying to do this, and I don't even know if I'm a Christian. I'm like, if you weren't a Christian, you probably wouldn't be hating it that much. You probably wouldn't see it as a struggle. You'd be like, yeah, I do this still, but hey, grace, right? See, that's, that's the danger. And so he reminds them that the gospel is this sort of complex, sort of two-sided reality that you're saved by God's grace, but that doesn't mean you don't work, but that you work as a result of God's grace. And so he says, I want to remind you of that That is easily left behind. And when that's left behind, you've got churches that become legalistic. You've got churches that become very licentious. And Christians that become that way. To protect against that, doesn't want to give them something new. He wants to remind them over and over and over again. He wants to be committed to it. These are his farewell words. This is what he wants to leave them with. And their response can't be, I know, Peter, you told us this already. We've heard this already. We've heard it from Paul. We heard it when you were visiting. We heard it before. That can't be their response because he already knows they have it. That he says in verse 12, I intend to remind you of these qualities, though you know them. I mean, I know you know it already. You think of parents telling their kids the same thing over again. I know, I know, I know. I know you like to respond by saying I know, but your actions show that you don't remember. And so I'm going to remind you again. I'm not just inventing new parenting things every... That would be a horrible parenting, right? Every morning, your your parents are a different strategy, a different plan, different moral qualities that they seek. No, it's the same moral qualities that we need reminding of. I know you know them already, he tells them. And you don't just barely know them. You're established in that truth that you already have. So he's commending them. He's not even saying you're doing a bad job. I need to remind you because you're not firmly established in them. You you don't know them at all. Some of you might know them, but a lot of you apparently don't know them at all. He's saying, no, I know you know them, and I know it's a truth that you're already established in. That's great. Great. So let's move on. No, let's not move on. I'm going to tell you again. The importance of being reminded can't be downplayed. And so these reminders are important, and he tells us why they're important. They're important to stir us up in works of faith to get us going, to get us moving in obedience. That's what the role of reminders are. And he makes that clear in verse 13 and 14. He says, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. So he's using reminders to stir them up, to get them going. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that After my departure, you may be able to recall at any time these things. And so he's using the reminder to agitate them, not in a bad way, but to get them going, to prompt them, to provoke them. It's the same Greek word that's used to wake up someone who's sleeping. right? You think of Mark 4, Jesus asleep on the boat, and they come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, you know there's a storm going on, right? Like, you know we're dying? And they're prompting him to not continue sleep sleeping, but to get up and do something about it. Won't you do something about it? And that's the idea here. It's the same word. To wake someone up as someone is sleeping, and now they're animated. They're up to do something, not to go back to sleep. And he's like, look, basically we have a tendency to be lulled to sleep. And one day you realize for the past ten years you've been, quote-unquote, working on the same habits. You haven't gone any deeper. You haven't added qualities. And he's, his prescription for that, so you don't become a sleepy Christian, a sideline Christian, a checked out Christian, a weak Christian, a slumbering Christian, is to wake you up with, and we would think, well, we need something new. No, you need something old. You need to be reminded of the basics, and that is going to stir you up and provoke you and prompt the good works in your life that need to be prompted in your life. So we get away from our minds this idea that, yeah, 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 I've heard that already. Let's not be like that. And let's go, okay, I need, a, I need a reminder. I need to be told again. I need to be taught. Why didn't it click the last time? I need this to click this time. To be stirred up and aroused by the same things. It's the same word that he used. I'll just give you a sneak preview to chapter 3, verse 1. You might have to flip the page to it, but it's right there. In chapter 3, verse 1, he tells them again. He calls them beloved. Why he's writing this whole letter to them, he says in both of of these, uh, I'm stirring up, same word, stirring up your sincere mind, how? By way of reminder. So I I just love, I don't know, as a preacher, I just love that Peter's just like, no, I'm I'm not here to give you something new. (laughs) I'm not here to spend... Hours upon hours trying to think of a new thing to say, but instead, I need to give you what I've given you before because that is what's going to change your life. That is what's going to get you moving as a Christian by way of reminder. By way of reminder. That's what sermons are for. That's what Bible studies are for. That's what your devotions are for. That's what your spiritual habits are for, your practice. We pray the same things. We study the same things, we sing the same things, we learn the same things. So we're not neophytes, or neophiles, or neophiliacs, or whatever you want to term you want to use, but instead we are in some sense traditionalists. That doesn't mean The songs have to sound the same. That doesn't mean we can't adopt new styles of music. We can't change the chairs. We can't change... See, where churches get confused, they stay stuck in tradition across the board. Nothing can change. No, but we're talking about truth. We're talking about theology. This is why we can recite old creeds and sing really old hymns. Because we have the truth that's been passed on, and this is what we need to continue to remind ourselves in a very real way. Our ministry... To each other in church is a reminder ministry. It's a ministry of reminding. Now, newer Christians are learning things for the first time, but then the the quest after that is to keep going deeper in those same basics. You might even, by this point, saying, "Okay, you, you know, we're what are like 20 minutes in, and you keep saying the same thing." I know. That's the point. That is the point. So he tells us we need reminders, he tells us we need to be stirred up to good works, and he connects them by telling us the reminders is how we get that. Last thing to say, I think, about this is that repeated reminders get us to stir ourselves. I mean, think about Peter's about to die, and he uses this really weird uh, phrase in verse 15 that, I was surprised as I was reading commentators, scholars on this. They keep saying this is really hard to translate. This is really difficult to understand. And so then I would look at it and go, I don't, but I'm not sure what's so difficult. So here's what the ESV says I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Uh, the Greek literally says, I'll always be reminding you. I'll always be reminding you of these things. And I think the difficulty some people have is how can he always be reminding us he's not Jesus, he's gonna die. And I think there's two answers to that. First, it could just be it could just mean I'll always be reminding you until I die. It could mean that. I mean, Peter obviously doesn't think he's gonna float around as sort of this um, you know omnipresent spirit constantly over your shoulder as you do Bible studies. See, I'm reminding you. He's not the Holy Spirit. So it could just mean he just means still death, and you're supposed to understand that he means still death. Or, there's another two things, I think. One is the importance of the letter we're reading. Here we are 2,000 years later, he's still reminding us, right? (laughs) Through the inspired word of God that's been kept by God's providence for us to read. Amazing. Amazing that uh, God has superintended uh, scribes and people who'd copy Scripture dutifully and preserve them and spread them to churches and keep them church after church so that we have the letter all this time later to read for ourselves. And here we are, Peter reminding us again. But another way, I think we find in the text itself. I will always be reminding you so that after I leave, he means after he dies, after his departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. What do we do after Peter dies? What would would Peter be doing if he were still alive? Telling you the same things he told you before he died. Right now, Peter wouldn't be standing up giving you something completely new. You never heard of it. He'd remind you again. So how does Peter get to continue to remind you after he dies? Well, you remind yourself. That's how. I mean, that's exactly what he tells them. I'm telling you over and over so that even when I'm gone, now you can remind yourself as you recall these things. Right? You use your memory to remember what I've told you so many times. All those basics, you're now going to recall them for yourself. And I think this takes an intentionality for us to be able to use these reminders to stir one another and to stir ourselves. We've got to embrace them and remember them so we can bring it to mind. So there's a few things that I want to leave you with uh, by way of application. There are so many of these that we can unpack, and I'm hoping that in your growth groups uh, you can continue to unpack these and go, what, what are ways that we can continue to remember these things so we don't forget them, so we don't leave them behind? And I think there's a literal forgetting I talk with Christians, and they literally have forgotten portions of the gospel. There are things that we forget. Uh, Oftentimes we recount the gospel, and we leave off Christ's resurrection. He died for my sins, and we stop there. We looked a few weeks ago, didn't we? The importance of the resurrection is that we get this holistic salvation, bodies included. Right? We don't want to forget that, but that's very basic. That's not new. That's in the Apostles' Creed. The earliest creed we have of physical resurrection that we look forward to. So there are things that we literally forget. And then there are things that we functionally forget. It's not that we intellectually don't remember them. It's that we're not applying it. We're not living it. And so we need the reminder like, hey, don't just know it. Do it. Live it. Don't just leave it in your head. It's got to pour out of your heart through your hands in real life. And some ways that we can help each other do that, we need to commit to moving beyond a Christianity where we just kind of bump along from Sunday to Sunday. And maybe there's not much effect in our lives. We just kind of go from one Sunday to the next Sunday to the next Sunday. We sit passively. A sermon is preached. Songs are sung. And then we leave. And there's not really a difference there. And that's one of the ways we know that we're not really taking the reminders. And we're not ingesting it in a way that we can remind ourselves because we're a little bit disengaged. Uh, and Some of you may have come from a background where uh, the liturgy is so high, maybe there's vestments and cloths and maybe they're reading things in Latin and there's this distance and you'll see we're at pains to close that distance as much as possible, right? And so one of the reasons why I was really excited to move this, one of the reasons why I, I, I try not to use a pulpit all the time, and there's nothing spiritually wrong with any of those things, it's just I want you to see me, you, and the Bible. Like, let's, let's engage. Let's, let's look at this together. Uh, this is not something that is a detached spiritual exercise, and we're not here to be consumers. Unless we think uh, that I'm just kind of ragging on high churches, the low churches do it too, where this is a huge stage, 12 feet up above you, there's fog, everything's black and dark, you can't even see the neighbor next to you. Then the superstar celebrity pastor comes out and tells you what he thinks. That's, that's just the high liturgy separation stuff all over again. The expert comes out to tell you what they expertly know, and you guys don't have to engage with each other. All right, over here, we're like, no, we want to hear you singing. One of the first things I talked to uh, uh, with Ben about when he came here, I'm like, hey, the, the number one, the main, the primary instrument in the church is the voices of the people, not any of the things that are happening up here. He's like, amen. I'm like, all right, let's do this. Right? <laughs> And so there's this interconnectedness with each other and a refusal of the mature Christian to detach themselves from the service in a way that it's sort of consumeristic. You come to receive, but are you really receiving? You have to engage. And so we have to, as the teachers used to tell us when we were kids, you know, put your thinking caps on. And what they mean is don't just sit there and disengage. Actually engage with the material that we're giving you so that you can adopt it for yourself, pass it on to other people, and just as importantly, pass it on to yourself outside of the Sunday service. You've got to be able to preach to your own hearts. You've got to be able to take Scripture and remind yourself of what Scripture is saying. And so Sundays will be of little value to us if we don't recall what we're taught and what we're learning. And so just a couple practical things that I think might be helpful. Uh, take notes. Take uh, and not just take notes, but review those notes. If you take notes and then you stick it on a shelf and you don't go over it, that may have been, I'm not going to say that was of zero value, but take time to go over those things and ingest it. Remind yourself of it. Um, I'm often asked, how do, how do I do this with minimal notes? Right? I don't have pages and pages up here, and I don't think I'm a super genius or anything like that. I, I, don't, I definitely know that I'm not a super genius, I don't have a photographic memory, I don't just type something out, click it with my mind, and then come up here and bring it. Well, some of it is that I'm very comfortable with just freestyling, like I'm doing right now, but some of it is, I write it out by hand. There's something about writing something out, not just typing it, that tactile movement, that connection with your brain, I don't know exactly what it is, but I found experience writing things out helps you ingest what it is that you're writing. And so, consider maybe bringing a notebook or using the, I don't, we're not use, handing them out right now, but normally we have the sermon inserts with the blank page, and you can write, and we're trying to encourage you writing writing things out and bringing that to your growth group and going, I wrote this down, whoa, that's totally backwards from what was actually said. I need a better listener, a better note. And we learn and, and, and help each other that way. But taking notes, reviewing those notes, also discussing them. And I often tell my, my preaching students I'll take a concept uh, that is a little difficult, or I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to say it, and I'll take a lunch with my wife that often ends up being my wife, God bless her, and, and I'll just ask her, what do you think about this concept? Let me try to explain it to you. And I'm realizing I'm not explaining this well. And I'm, as I'm talking it out loud, I'm ingesting it. So that when Sunday comes, I don't need a piece of paper to tell me how to say it. I've said it already before. And so I stand up here, and that helps me, right? And so I'm just helping you understand how memory aids work. Uh, Repetition is another one. Don't just discuss it once, discuss it again. Discuss it with someone else. Discuss it with someone who's not a believer and see how they take it. Uh, Discuss it with someone that is in your growth group and you can see that you're not real clear on it if you can't explain it. But if you get to the point where you can explain it, now you're locking in the clarity of what it is that you're trying to remember. But if we come to church, go, wow, that was really good, that was interesting, and then we never talk about it, we don't discuss it, we don't walk with people or go on a walk and talk about it with each other, we don't, dis- bring, it up. We don't bring it up around the dinner table, we don't discuss these things without that discussion, it's hard for us to remember. I mean, this is an Old Testament principle. Right? Impress these truths upon the hearts of your children. When? Well, when you're walking, when you're, when you're eating, when you're, when you're tucking them in at night. Constantly go over these things with your kids, with your family, with each other. Why? Well, because that is how we embed these things in our hearts. And so we write things down, we talk about things, and then, of course, there's memorization. And some of you, I know, are better at memorization than others. Some of us believe we're not very good at it, but with repetition, you'll get it. You can start with short verses. You can start with with compact verses that aren't very long, not very difficult, and just repeat that over in your head. But I want to push it a little further, not to just cold-memorize portions of Scripture, but understand what they're saying and internalize what it means, which is different than memorizing what it says. So memorize, but internalize. What is this? I don't get it. What does this say? If you're reading through the Bible in a year and you're just blowing through passages, you're like, I don't know what that means, but I don't have time to stop and think about it because I'm going to fall behind my reading plan. I would commend, maybe consider slowing down that reading plan and give yourself some time to go, I, didn't, I've never, I never knew that this guy killed this guy before. <laughs> I, I didn't know that this happened before that happened. Why did, why did Luke put this first and then move to the next? That's weird. Let that be weird. That's great. That means you're on your way to to understanding something uh, in a deeper way. So, I don't have new applications. Here's the real new way to ingest and memorize Scripture. No, it's the tried and true old ways of doing it. Talking about it with one another, singing things to one another. Uh, And one of the helpful things about using songs that are rich in theology is songs are easy to memorize, and the more our songs reflect what Scripture says the more helpful it will be for you to remember what Scripture says. So you can be like Paul and Silas in the jails. You got nothing. You got nothing. There's no hymn books. There's no Scripture. What do they have? They have what's in here. And they can sing it to each other, and they can preach to each other because they've ingested and internalized and memorized things rather than taking a passive stance of going, yeah, 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 I heard that before. When's he going to say something new? You want to go, heard that before, needed to hear that again. I want to be able to recall it myself and do what it takes to be able to recall these things. Why? Because the danger is, if we don't embrace the importance of reminders, we won't be stirred up. And if we're not stirred up, we'll fall asleep. And if we fall asleep, we'll become the kind of Christians that lack these divine qualities. We don't want to be there. That's a dangerous place. You want to be an active, aroused uh, Christian that is animated and energetic to do the things of the Lord. And the way we do that is to recall these things by way of reminder. As the worship team comes up, I want to ask you to pray with me. Father, we ask you uh, that we would not um, be sleepy as to the things that we need to constantly return to.